0: My name is Stephen and I serve as one of the leaders here. And um, if you have your Bibles here this this morning, please would you turn with me to roughly the middle of the New Testament to the book of Colossians. And we're going to be hanging out in chapter 3, verse 12 onwards, Colossians chapter 3. And while you're finding there, just to remind you that we've got about 30 plus riversiders, on their way back from Botswana right now and um, I believe that God has done some amazing things. I'm sure we're gonna be hearing all of the testimonies but I believe there's been some uh, people coming to Christ. Uh, there have been people getting healed and I think the team is also so invigorated by partnering with God in mission in Botswana. And, and while we're also talking about mission, we've got a family in our church, both of whom serve the Lord full-time in missions and um, they've kind of taken a break from this for a while But on my right, your left is a book table where they take brand new books and make them available to us at incredibly low prices. Uh, And they are the kinds of books that you want to buy. In other words, um, you're not going to get candy floss and rubbish. Uh, You're going to get good quality books that are going to feed you and enrich your faith. Uh, So after the service, we've got our library where you can take out books for free. And again, handpicked books. Um, Many of them were bought new for us as a church. And then also these books that you can buy and take home for yourself. So, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, is where we're going to be connecting just now. And a brief reminder Paul wrote this book to a church uh, roughly 2,000 years ago, and, and he's got a very intentional logic here he starts off by saying this is who Jesus is this is the gospel this is his sovereignty this is what he's done on the cross this is what his victory means and that is what I kind of refer to by the gospel and then from uh, some point onwards he gets very practical the assumption is this you can't just live the gospel you so you can't just believe the gospel you have to live the gospel All right, you can't just believe it with your minds. It has to actually transform your lives. And if this is true, that has to impact all sorts of areas of our lives. Now up to now, we've been talking about how the gospel relates to many personal areas of our lives. The last few weeks, we've been even talking about sin, as uncomfortable as that has been. But what we're going to be talking today is how the gospel should be transforming us as a community. Again, we can't just preach the gospel. We can't just sing about the gospel, which we have many times already this morning. We can't just kind of give offhand responses concerning what the gospel is. The gospel has to be lived in community. In other words, if someone comes here on a Sunday and some of you are joining us from the States or you are joining us for the first time, the gospel has to be lived and experienced here. If someone comes into your home, something of the gospel has to transform your home. If someone joins your life group, somehow the truth of chapter one and a half of Colossians has to transform your life group. And so in that way, the gospel in our community becomes real. It becomes palpable. It becomes visible. And we actually, as a community, live in such a way that makes the gospel believable. Because then people have seen it. They've experienced it. They've witnessed it in our homes and in our meetings. And then when they hear it, they say, yes, that is true. That is wonderful. And that is beautiful. Now, if we're going to do that as a church, become a community that lives the gospel out as a community, that doesn't mean that we're going to be a perfect church. By no means. All right? We're not going to somehow, just because we're all Christians, have this kind of like tubby land way of being together. It's like rainbows and everyone's like, oh, can you do this? And just like, you know, this over politeness and it can get really weird, all right? Church is real. We are sinners saved by grace as we sang and we are all in a journey of transformation. And that means community, as much as we are still being transformed by the gospel, can still be very, very messy. And we need to figure out how are we gonna respond to that reality? And hopefully we walk away today with some tools as to how to move forward and partner with God as He shapes us to be a different kind of a community. So to help us understand how these dynamics work, uh, think about your family. Now, some of you truly love your family and you love spending time with your family. Several times a week, the whole family will get together. Uh, You're gonna go go, go out together and you're gonna eat together. You're gonna watch movies together. You're gonna do Easter, Christmas and all, all every excuse to get together, you take it. Some of us don't, all right? Some of you do everything you can to avoid spending time with your family. Most of us are probably somewhere in between those two things. But regardless of who your family is or how perfect you think your family is, if you look hard enough, there are going to be tensions. There are going to be skeletons in the closets. There are going to be disagreements. There are going to be uncomfortable people. They're the weird uncle. And, and there are going to be moments where actually this is not really fun being part of this family. However, one thing doesn't change. You can't unfriend your family. You are your family. Um, my boys, whenever they get into a disagreeable space, uh, Bianca and I regularly remind them, boys, you are Brothers. And you're going to be brothers. Then nothing you can do to stop yourself from being brothers. So get used to it. Love each other. Learn how to support each other. Have each other's backs. So when you're teenagers and young adults and way into your later years, you're living out this reality of being brothers. And Paul is going to start in exactly the same place. When it comes to who we are, he's going to start there. Remember who you are. This is who you are. And out of that place, out of the place of identity... We are going to learn to be a different kind of a community. So let's read together uh, Colossians 3 verses 12 and I'm going to read till verse 15. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, And patience. Now, I just want to stop that first part of verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And many of these themes actually came up in the songs that we were singing this morning. See, again, many of you would know this about family, where family can really get tough, and we know that what kind of family you grow up in really impacts you deeply, right? So, um, one of the things that both Christian and, and secular counselors and psychologists will tell us is that if you grow up in an environment where you aren't fully convinced that you are deeply loved by your mom and your dad, somehow that broken relationship is going to result in all sorts of other broken areas in your life. And almost every painful issue can usually be traced back to that. Add into the pot that we're also born broken and fractured and sinful people, but nonetheless... How we receive love from our moms and our dads greatly impacts our ability to connect with other people and live well-structured lives. The corollary is also true. If somehow, in spite of our brokenness, moms and dads, in spite of the fact that we're not perfect, if somehow we can parent in such a way that our little boys and girls grow up knowing they are loved, knowing they're loved, knowing they don't have to get the A's to earn our love, They may or may not get the age, but it doesn't change the love. They may or may not score the goals or get in the 18, but it doesn't change how they're loved. In fact, they may mess up and they may come home sometimes with their tail between their legs, but they know, they know, they know that it doesn't matter what they do, it will never make us love them more and it will never make us love them less. If our kids can grow up in that kind of environment, in spite of our deficiencies as parents those kids are set up for life those kids are in that environment are equipped with the kind of emotional and social resources to connect well with others in marriage to connect well with others in community and to connect well with basically the world at large and this is where paul starts he's saying you want to know who you are you want to know who your family is this is who you are you are dearly dearly loved This is your identity. This is a theme that is coming up again and again and again in Colossians. Before we talk about what you do, you need to know who you are. And Paul reminds us again, before you consider what kind of grace-filled community you need to be, you need to know who you are. And this is who you are. You're a community who are deeply loved. Now, none of us in this room come from perfect families. But here is what is true about God the Father that His love is perfect. And the degree to which we can truly get that, truly, not just with our minds and say the right things, but wake up knowing, this is what Paul prays in every single one of his letters, that we can know that we are dearly, dearly loved by the Father. That nothing can separate us from our love. That He allows us to see just how infinite and and, and fathomless the height and the depth and the width of His love are suddenly we are given heavenly resources vertically to deal with all the difficulties and the nuances and the trickiness of the horizontal relationship that we find ourselves in in a church community. And so in this way, one of the other adjectives here is that you're holy, you are a different people. God is working amongst us in such a way that he's wanting to change us. He's wanting to shape us. He's wanting to transform us. As we understand his love, And as we are transformed by that, we become a different kind of people. Christ is in us. He is, we are in him. And we are able to show the world what God is like by what he's doing among us. And in this way, we make the gospel believable. Now, in the verses that follow, Paul is going to get incredibly practical. So let's read. I'm going to read in one go from verse 12 to 15. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Now the last few weeks we've been talking about sin. We've had a very tough conversation. How do we address these destructive patterns in our lives? And one thing we've learned amongst many others is that we can't just stop one set of behaviors. We have to put on a new set of behaviors. You can't just stop eating junk. You need to learn how to eat healthy food, right? So we need to figure out how do we say no? How do we get rid of, how do we uh, uh, kill and, and murder things in our lives that are destructive to us, that are destructive to you, that are destructive to your relationships, in marriage, in family, with yourself, with God? God would call that sin. It's destructive, And how do we put on certain behaviors that are going to lead us towards life, lead us towards freedom, lead us to those areas of our lives where God is working and He is breathing and He is creating new freedom and new life. And that is what this morning is about, is learning to put these on. Now, the word here that Paul uses is clothe yourself with these things. Something we all know something about, right? Thankfully, every single one of us did that this morning. We all put on some clothes. I did the same and we had choices. All of us had, most of us here had choices. I, I, I remember last night looking at the weather app, just trying to figure out what's the weather going to be like tomorrow. Uh, I realized, just by the way, if you never knew this, the cold front is coming tomorrow. So I knew today would probably be the kind of day that is another mild Joburg winter's day. All right, so dress accordingly. Now, when it comes to what we choose to put on, what we choose to clothe ourselves with, uh, again, when we are making these choices, we're going to think through a number of different categories. So I could have put on some clothes this morning that were just not me, not congruent with the person that I am. So I could have, I think I would have shot the pants off of you guys. um, I could have come in in a leather jacket and tight leather pants and some sort of heavy metal band T-shirt and a bandana. Now, there's nothing wrong necessarily with that, but you guys would have gone, but Stephen, that's not you. That's not who you are. You don't know how to ride a motorbike. All right? So somehow that's not congruent with who I am. On the other hand, I could have been very true to who I am, but I could have clothed myself in a way that's not helpful to you. Now, I couldn't, the only example I could think of was going back 20 years to my sort of my rock band days and my skateboarding days. Uh, um, and I could have gotten up on the stage with kind of a torn off sleeveless T-shirt of a, some sort of punk band and, and baggy pants and sort of, you know, boxes sticking out. I actually used to do that. And... Um, you know, chunky skating shoes, which is the way it was 20 years ago, uh, cap backwards, something very weird I used to do. I'm half embarrassed to even tell you I used to do this. But in those days, I used to grow a bit of a goatee and peroxide it. I mean, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Maybe I've just lost my job. But anyway. Um, now, again, nothing necessarily wrong with any of that, Arguably. But if I got up every Sunday to preach wearing that, somehow I'm being in some way true to who I am, but it's not very helpful to you. Right? But when I got dressed this morning, hopefully something, there is a congruency between what I chose to wear and me. just something about, you know, this is, you know, personal style and all the rest. But hopefully it's not distracting to you. And hopefully you're not, you know, focusing on my midriff the whole day or, or whatever else. And in the same way, Paul says, when it comes to these behaviours, you need to clothe yourself with these behaviours. They're going to be new. And and, and what you need to realise is that when you clothe yourselves with these behaviours, they need to be true of who you are, but not the old you, the new you. And for that reason, as we put on new behaviours, some of them may feel clunky. Some of them may feel like they don't fit. Some of us are going to feel like I'm, I'm way more used to this kind of clothing than this kind of clothing. But the idea is, the more I put these on, and the more I am walking with God and in my identity as God, the more I'm going to realize, but this is actually me. And coincidentally, the me I put on in Christ happens to be the best me for you as well. and For your husband, for your wife, for your children, for your work environments. All right, that's the beauty of this new you that God is breathing life into. But there is this kind of awkward phase of, of putting, on, putting on behaviors that may feel very foreign to you. And you may be uh, tempted to believe, well, therefore that isn't me. And I'm gonna go back to my old habits, my, own, my old kind of clothing of character. So now as we look at these verses, there's a whole list of attributes and qualities here and we're not gonna be able to deep dive many of them, but I just wanna start with the second half of verse 12 where he says, listen, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I'll just focus on that part of the verse. For some of you, a number of other parts of Scripture might start coming to mind. Some lists, we've got a list of five words here. Some other lists might start coming to mind. Even if you're not a Christian, you're probably familiar with at least one of them. If you, maybe, you, like, well, maybe two lists are coming to mind as I look at those five words. And, and maybe if you know your Bible well enough, you may even, uh, uh, three lists might start coming to mind. The, the first list that might start coming to mind as you look at those five words is from 1 Corinthians 13, one of the greatest chapters on love. And, and many of us have had 1 Corinthians 13 uh, 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 read to us at our weddings uh, uh, or, or in some form spoken about in marriage. However, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not marriage, it is us. Where Paul is speaking to a church, he's saying, Listen, guys, there are certain things that we need to sort out among you. But right in the middle of that, he's saying, But remember, love, and this is what love is like love is patient, love is kind love does not boast it is not proud that's kind of depicting humility it's not rude it's not self-seeking and so on and so forth that's the first list that might come to mind as you look at those five words the second list that might come to mind as you look at these five words on the screen is what is known in another book of the new testament galatians 5 what is known as the fruits of the spirit and the assumption is this if christ's presence his spirit is in you all right, and if you are in Him, in as much as you are, the, the biblical word is abiding in Him. You, you're you're spending a lot of time focusing your attention and your energies on being in Him and celebrating that relationship. In as much as that is happening, Christ's character is going to be formed in you, and they call, it's called fruits. All right, and, and what the fruits is going to look like is going to look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And uh, one of the things that we've spoken a lot about here at Riverside is the thing about fruit is if you are an apple tree, you don't have to try and make apples. Apples comes naturally. All right, so look after the roots and you'll be fruitful. And the same is true with our new selves. If we put our roots in Christ and we are nurtured by his life-giving presence, we're gonna start showing new things. New new fruits are gonna come out of our lives and this is what it's gonna look like. So that's the second list that might come to mind as you look at these five words there's a lesser known third list, which kind of uh, speaks about these in, in, in many similar ways, but in one way that 's very different and I want to read this passage, especially because it 's less known to us, I think on average it 's found in two Peter chapter one, and it, P- Peter writes this: "For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self control and to self control perseverance and to perseverance godliness." and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, something we're growing in, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this verse kind of adds, or this passage adds a bit of attention into the whole mix. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, well, listen, if if there is love among you, this is what love looks like. Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, kind of assumes if Christ's Spirit is in you, and if you are in Him, it's going to produce fruit. And this is what it looks like. It's a work of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 says to you, make every effort. So which is it? Does it just happen naturally because everything's about love? Or does, does it happen naturally because I'm celebrating my relationship with God? Or must I make every effort? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. And we've kind of spoken about in the last few weeks, this mysterious participation where we are somehow called to participate, not in our salvation, but in our transformation. Remember that verse that we spoke about a few weeks ago, for those of you who are here, where Paul says, man, I worked harder than all the other apostles, but not I, but the grace of God that was with me. In other words, when Paul said, listen, I woke up early, I went to bed late, I studied, I worked hard. In fact, I I bled for these churches, I I suffered for these churches. But when I look at what God has done, I realise it's all God. And the same is going to be true of these words on the screen behind me. We are going to make every effort to put these on, to clothe ourselves with these. But when we start seeing, man, this is becoming who I am. And who I was, I'm moving away from who I was. This is truly becoming me. And the Christian is going to say, and it wasn't because of the effort that I put in. It was because of God's grace at work within me. And that's the mystery of all of this. Now, all of these words don't happen on our own doesn't happen by watching podcasts and and, uh, listening to sermons online. These are only grown and nurtured in community, which makes things not very simple. I don't know if you've ever tried to do something new, start a new fitness regime or start a new diet. So maybe you decide to start a new diet and you say to yourself, okay, I, I'm going to make every effort to start this new diet all right, so man, you go through the cupboards in your home, and you get rid of all the carbohydrates, you get rid of all the processed sugars, and all the things that are unhealthy, and all the things that taste good, and you're left with like spinach, kale, cucumber, and you know rolled oats. All right, so you wake up the next morning, and and you commit it, man. You're like, I am doing this thing, and you drink your weird green smoothie, and you're like, tasteless oats. Or, sorry, nothing on any of you who eat that stuff. Um, but you're committed to this new diet, right? and you get to work and you're starting to like feel, man, this feels good and my body's maybe feeling good and you get to work, staff meeting and somebody rocks up with a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. And you're like, why does the world hate me? Now you've got a choice. You've made a decision. You're going to put in every effort but now you've joined with other people and not everyone is doing the same thing as you. And someone thought it was a good idea to bring Krispy Kreme to work. So what's going to happen? Now, here's the thing that you learn in those moments. You can do everything to control your environment, your kitchen, your cupboard, your grocery cart, but you cannot control what other people do. And as we think about clothing ourselves with compassion and goodness and kindness and humility, you might wake up, and I hope you do, every morning deciding, I'm going to make every effort to clothe myself with these qualities. I'm going to do this thing. And I'm going, to, I'm going to get rid of my old self. And I'm going to put on goodness today. And I'm going to put on compassion today. And I'm going to put on kindness and humility today. And then you get to church. And there's someone who ignores you. Or you get your life group. We spoke about these things in our life group last week. These kind of things that can irritate us. And then someone's chewing loudly during life group or you're on your way to church and someone cuts you off and you realise it was the pastor. I mean, you realise it was somebody else from Riverside, right? Now, what are we going to do in those moments? Man, I'm trying so hard to do this new thing, but no one else is helping me in this. And this is why Paul follows on with the next verse, verse 13. So bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So as we move from our best intentions individually into a community, be it a life group, family environment, or church environment like this, there are going to be grievances. There are going to be disappointments. There are going to be difficulties. And in case you haven't figured that out, there is no such thing as a perfect church. These things are a reality. So what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Now, let's go back to the donut analogy. Sorry, Krispy Kreme is going to like, the donuts are going to fly off the shelves of the church this, uh, today. So when you've, with your best intentions, decided to stick this new diet, you get to work and there's Krispy Kremes in front of you. You can do a number of things. You can say, oh, well, I tried. Smash six Krispy Kremes and I'll start again tomorrow, right? And when it comes to clothing ourselves with kindness, compassion, patience, and all these things, we can say, oh, you know what? I, I tried I tried and I'm just going to give in to the old Steve. I'm going to give in to my sulky self. I'm going to give in to my aggressive or my passive aggressive self. And I'm just going to be an idiot. And I'll try again tomorrow. That's one way of responding to those donuts. Another way is kind of like having a stare down with the donuts. You're like white knuckling yourself through it. Just like, you know, somehow they're like, Steve, Steve, eat me. It's like, I will not, I will not. And you go home tired and frustrated and angry and upset, right? And in the same way, you can somehow try and white-knuckle your way through whatever difficulty, whatever anxiety you're dealing with in community. But Paul says there's a third way. Now, I couldn't think of an analogy with donuts, all right? I will think of one, I'll let you know when I get there. But Paul says, listen, the answer's easy. The answer's easy. It's gracious forgiveness in Jesus. That's the way we respond in this way. It, it's saying, listen, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. In other words, remember, remember how Christ forgave you. Remember on what basis Christ forgave you. Remember, you didn't have to earn it. Remember, you didn't have to perform. Remember, you were pretty messed up, and yet He forgave you. Remember, the, 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 it was very undeserved, and yet God blessed you abundantly by forgiving you because of His Son, the price that He paid. And now he's called you a son or a daughter. And even if you fail, you're still a son or a daughter. You're in the family now. This is who you are, dearly loved, right? So as we recall what Christ has done amongst us, then Jesus says, or Paul says here, now just do to one another what God has done to you. And that's gonna shape in a gospel-like way how we do community together, especially when it comes to difficult moments. Now, that sounds simple, right? You got it? We're going to all go away and we're going to think about the gospel and we're going to hit a couple of road bumps along the way and uh, we're just going to respond in that way, right? Easy? Yes? No. No. Because forgiveness is hard. All right? Whether it's in family or, or church, forgiveness is hard. And in fact, another word we can use is we could say forgiveness is painful. Now, why on earth is such a good thing so painful even for Christians? Even for Christians who have brought to mind the gospel and the debt that Christ paid. And I'll tell you why it's painful. It makes so much sense. It's painful because when there is a grievance, there is a debt that is incurred. Right? The ledger does this, and somebody has to pay the debt. And when we're reacting like old Steve is saying, You must pay. But at some point, forgiveness, and if we look at the cross, this is what happened. This is what forgiveness looked like for Jesus. Jesus said, listen, there is a debt against me. There's a debt in this relationship. There's a grievance. All of your sin, collectively, the the sinful brokenness within you and every sin committed by you and every other person on the face of this earth needs to be dealt with. Now, Jesus said, instead of making you deal with it, He says, I'm going to deal with it. But the way he did it isn't just by chilling up in heaven, waving a magic wand or signing a blank check and saying, okay, sort it. No, 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 he entered into our pain and it literally cost him his life. It was a, a painful debt that was paid for. And in the same way, we know that this is true. When there's a debt between us, somebody's got to pay. And we like to think, well, can't we just forgive and kiss up and make friends, Right? Think about it this way. And this, I got this from Timothy Keller in his book, The Reason for God. He said, imagine I, I, you came to me and said, hey, Steve, do you mind if I use your car? I said, sure, here's the keys, go for it. And you went out and you wrecked my car. So you come back to me, Steve, and I wrecked a car. Now, Stephen, please forgive me. Now I can go, sure, I forgive you. But the point is, the car's still wrecked. Somebody's got to pay for it. Now either, I can either make you pay for it or... Let's just take insurance off the table. It's not a perfect metaphor. Either make you pay for it or I've got to pay for it. And the reason why forgiveness is painful is because you have a debt against me. And instead of me saying, well, you pay for it, I choose to pay for it myself. And so forgiveness is a cross-carrying activity. It is a gospel Activity. It's an activity that points to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, which is why it is often so difficult and we shy away from that. So what is, it, what is a church then? As a result of today's little teaching, a church is those who have received grace from God abundantly, even though we don't deserve it. And then because of that, a church is a bunch of people who give grace to one another who do not deserve it right that's what it means to be a gospel-based church now i'm going to quickly move on verse 14 and 15 and over all of these other virtues put on love which binds all these other virtues together in perfect unity love by definition it's not this wonderful happy feeling love is a decision and love is where i decide to put others first and esteem them as greater than me and, and the idea is this, if you do that daily, you, and you wake up and you're gonna esteem others as greater than you, a lot of these other things will come very naturally. And will somehow bind them all together. And finally, verse 15, and in the midst of all of this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Again, this is a choice. Let the peace of God, which means many of us are gonna choose not to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Now, according to this verse, where does the peace of God start? In our hearts, right? That's where it starts. There's no point having an external veneer of peace if we're still angry and we're and messed up and broken on the inside. And so somehow it starts off with having a transaction of peace from God. This is the peace of God, the peace of Christ ruling my heart. And somehow that enables me to respond and transact in peace. This is where I think we've been robbed as a church. Where kind of New Ageism and and Eastern religionism has kind of stolen these words inner peace. I think it starts with Christians. The ability for us to, to experience, despite of our circumstances, a peace that only God gives us. It's very easy to feel peaceful when everything's wonderful. Got a full bank account. Man, but if we experience peace in the middle of great difficulty in the middle of financial difficulty, that's supernatural. I love the song that, um, one of the words that Matt Redmond wrote in one of his songs. He said, I am in the storm, Lord, but the storm is not in me. It's the peace of God, ruling. And I love that word ruling. It means it's governing me. It's, I choose to let that peace govern my life. All right, it it determines my actions. It determines how I respond to the rest of life. Now, guys, as we look at all of these verses and all of these attributes of what a gospel-living, graceful community looks like, the goal is not necessarily a perfect church, but it is a church that lives out the gospel. The irony of all of this is, in order for God to have shown His love to us the way that He did, and demonstrated his love by paying for that on the cross, inviting us into his family, presupposes there was a mess to clean up, presupposes there was a problem, presupposes there was sin. And in that environment, God demonstrated what we call now the gospel. And in the same way, trying to achieve some external vanilla of a perfect church is so weird and really not achievable. But in fact, it actually presupposes there are going to be genuine grievances, Genuine difficulties, genuine behaviors that need to be forgiven in a gospel-like way. And when we enter into these grievances with living out the gospel as a community, people watch, people see, people observe, and suddenly we make the gospel believable by being a graceful community. Now, if we think about all of these words, kindness, compassion, and humility, and grace, and forgiveness love peace if we think of those in transactional words like a currency you cannot give what you don't have right and so it is up for every single one of us to decide to let the peace of god reign to decide to receive the givenness that i have in christ to be transformed by that to experience his kindness to experience his compassion experience his humility and the more I am filled with that relational uh, currency that God imparts, He gives it to me, suddenly I'm empowered to respond in the same way to others. And this is something we need to get, is that this is not fair. Grace is not fair. What God did for us is not fair. And we should be grateful for that. And in the same way, as we become grace givers and compassion Givers and love givers and peace givers. Very often it's not going to feel very fair. But again, we are shaped by the gospel and not by what is fair. We are either going to be shaped by karma, you get what you deserve, or the gospel, which is you don't get what you deserve. And so for every single one of us, I want us to first of all consider who we are because of who Christ is, because of what He has done for us. And pray that that's, that knowledge, not so much head knowledge, but that somehow the, the core of who we are becomes so confident that that is who I am in Christ. This is my identity. And then from that place, we choose to put on behaviors that only make sense in family and in marriage and in church community. And they're going to be grown and nurtured through difficult circumstances in this community. But we choose to put it on. And we choose to respond with the gospel. So pray with me, Father. We thank you that your gospel truly is good news. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you do truly want to lead us away from death and towards life. Both in this world and in the next You truly want to eliminate those destructive and selfish behaviors within us that tear against our relationships and our friendships and our marriages and our families and our church community. And you want to lead us towards paths of life, paths of freedom, and paths of grace. And Father God, we are realizing this morning that that may be hard. May require cross-carrying. It may require taking a long, hard look at the price that is paid for us personally. It may be require recognizing for the first time that the gospel means a gruesome death paid on my behalf by the Son of God. That, that debt was real. And what is given me is not a guilt trip, but life and freedom. And so, Father, as. We consider ourselves, but in the same thoughts, how we are connected to other real lives and real relationships. Father God, show us how we can be gospel-believing and gospel-living people. Church, just for a second, consider what this could look like if we as a community... We're filled with this kind of grace, giving undeserved grace, the same way we've received undeserved grace. Imagine what this shows the world. It's like a doggy dog world. How it turns that story upside down and shows us what life looks like. And so, Father, for every single one of us, I don't think there's a person in this room for whom this sermon is unrelatable or irrelevant. And so, Father God, we thank you that you have given us the resources that we need in the gospel, in your presence, in order to put on these behaviors, the new me, the new us, the new riverside, and I step into very difficult situations with the resources that the gospel gives. And so, Father, as we consider what that means in real relationships, in real community, in our families, our life groups, our homes, Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings. Father God, I pray that every single one of us is given a handful of practical ways to live this out and truly transform who we are as a community. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. In your name, amen.